Amen. Please find in your Bibles John chapter 16. We come to the end of the Upper Room Discourse this morning. What a blessing we have had since January where Pastor Mitchell started us in this series. And we have been comforted by the words of the Lord Jesus and have seen the way that He empowers, that He calls, that He sends. And our prayer is that He will continue to work uh, through His Word by the power of His Spirit in our lives. We're going to continue, actually, starting next week with John 17, which is the high priestly prayer of Christ, and that will carry us through the end of the summer. But for now, let's read John 16, verses 25 through 33. Oh, I did want, you to, ask, want to ask you to pray as well for uh, your pastors as we contemplate what we'll be doing next. Uh, we have several ideas, but actually have not made a decision. One thing that's encouraging is that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And so wherever it is that the Lord leads us, we are confident that He will continue His work among us through His Word. John 16, 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, remember this is Jesus talking, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As we get into this scripture, I think it's important for us to talk about a point of theology that provides a significant background for our understanding of this question. So please forgive me, we're going to get a little bit technical for a few minutes but it will help us to understand the, the gem that Jesus shares with us in the closing words of the Upper Room Discourse. What I'd like to talk about is the doctrine of the sufficiency of God. The formal word is actually the doctrine of the aseity of God. It refers to the fact that God is independent, that He is self-existent. God exists perfectly in and of Himself. He is not in any way dependent upon anything else for His existence or for His character. He is independent of and above all of creation. We depend on Him. He depends on nothing for His existence. He does not need anyone or anything 
outside of himself. He is self-sufficient. What does that mean in practical terms? Well, for example, we could talk about life. In this series, we've already talked about the fact that God Himself is the source of life, that He contains life in Himself. We depend upon Him for life. He depends upon no one for life. He is life from eternity past. He has been life and has contained life within Himself. We talk about glory. God is holy and glorious within His own character. He does not derive glory from some other source. He is glorious. And sometimes we talk about giving glory to God. We can't give Him glory. What we can do is acknowledge His glory, and we worship Him in His glory. We can reflect His glory and His holiness, but He is glorious. He is perfectly glorious in and of Himself. We can also talk about social characteristics of God in this sense, and here is a key point for today. God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, enjoyed unity, love, and joy within the Godhead before all of creation. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoyed and shared perfect love and unity before the world was ever created. God doesn't need to love us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have shared perfect love from eternity past. We can jump ahead just real quickly into John 17 and see this doctrine in how Jesus talks there. Jesus talks about the glory that He had with the Father, God the Son, God the Father, sharing in glory before the world began. Then later on in that chapter, Jesus talks about the love that God the Father had for God the Son before the foundation of the world. God is perfectly self-sufficient, does not need His creation in order to be who He is. That's important because the main point I want us to grasp today by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through His Word is that it is out of pure grace that God loves us. It is out of pure grace that God loves us, and that once we are in His love, we can do nothing to add to it or increase it, and we can do nothing to take away from that love. It is out of pure grace that God loves us, and once we are in His love, we can do nothing to add to it or to take away from it. So let's look at the Father's love as we see it in this passage and as we see it in the Upper Room Discourse and really throughout the Gospel of John, and concentrate specifically at this point on verse 27. The Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. 
There are three things about God's love that are important for us to grasp in this passage and as well within the larger context. And the first one is that God's love is an initiating love. It is sourced in Himself and extends to us. The Father Himself, Jesus uses that emphatic pronoun there, the Father Himself loves you. And love flows from Him to us within creation. We sometimes have this idea that God's love is brokered to us by Jesus, as if God is a removed and wrathful entity, but Jesus made God or convinced God to become loving towards us by His sacrifice on the cross. But Jesus makes it clear here with his own words, God himself, God the Father, loves you. A great passage in which we see this kind of explained more clearly is Romans chapter 5. Paul talks about some of the imperfections of human love, that, that our love is a little bit dependent upon the goodness or the holiness of the other person, and, and maybe or maybe not we really love somebody else. But then Paul says, God's love, God's love is demonstrated for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see in that passage how the logically prior thing is God's love? The love that the Father has in Himself is demonstrated in the fact that Jesus died for us. And what a miracle that Jesus died for us when we were still sinners. We were not interested. We were not making any effort in order to be reconciled to God when he initiated this act of love, sending his son who would then purchase for us salvation and open the door for us to be united with the Father. God's love is an initiating love sourced in himself. God, the Father himself loves you. Tied directly with that is the fact that God's love is a sending or a giving love. Jesus refers to this in verse 28 when He says, the Father sent me. And of course, we see that very clearly earlier in John, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Verse 17, God sent His Son into the world for our salvation. So the Father initiates love towards us, and that love is a giving or a sending love. One commentator talked about it in this way. Jesus does not cause the Father to love the disciples. It was God's love that sent Jesus to us. Christ does not cajole an un otherwise unwilling deity, but rather achieves the great promise of God's own heart for us. God himself loves you so much that He took the initiative to send His Son into the world. And then what did the Son do? He sacrificed Himself for our sake. God's love is a sacrificing love. Jesus 
references that in this passage as well. You might remember that all through the Upper Room Discourse, whenever Jesus is referring to the event of the cross, to his crucifixion and death and resurrection and ascension to the Father, whenever he talks about that, he refers to his leaving the world and going to the Father. And so, in this passage as well, Jesus talks about the fact that he is going to leave the world, he's going to leave the disciples, and he is going to the Father. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the sacrifice that will be made for our sins. And that sacrifice is the expression of God's love towards us. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Here's where love is defined for us, the very definition of love is this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What a rich word, what a rich expression. God's love is expressed in the fact that He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does that mean? That means that our sins do indeed deserve punishment. The wrath of God is stored up against the weight of our sin that we carry. But Jesus Christ came to take our punishment. When he went to the cross, we've said it over and over again, because the most important thing that we can ever understand. When he went to the cross, he took upon himself our sin. He bore upon himself the full measure of God's wrath poured out on him. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then He offers to us His righteousness so that we can be forgiven, so that we can enter into a relationship with the Holy God, so that we can be in the Father's love. And that is available for everyone who believes in Him. The greatest expression of God's love is the good news of Jesus Christ. So this is the love of the Father that we see in these verses, initiating love, ascending love, and a sacrificing love on our behalf. In these verses and within the larger context, we also see the measure of God's love for us. How much does He love us? And in what ways does He love us? And how beautiful the truth is that how the Father loves Jesus is also how He loves us. Contemplate that for a minute. How the Father loves Jesus is also how He loves you. How does the Father love Jesus? As you read through the Gospel of John, Jesus often refers to the love of the Father. And in that context, first of all, He calls God His Father. There is that intimate relationship of father and son that has existed from eternity past. Jesus says that the father hears him. He says that the father is with him. Remember, you're going to leave me, but I'm not alone. The father is with me. He says that the father is in him as he is in the father. Do you hear the intimacy of that relationship? When Jesus speaks, it is the Father who is speaking. When Jesus works, it is the Father who is working. Jesus says that the Father has set him apart and sent him 
into the world. Jesus says that he knows the Father, and the Father knows him. He even says, I and the Father are one. This love, this intimacy, this fellowship, this unity is the Father's love towards the Son as we see it in the Gospel of John. And then Jesus himself says that the same way the Father loves him is the way the Father loves us. Let's actually look at a verse we referred to earlier, John 17, verse 23, where Jesus is praying, he's talking to the Father, and he says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's how much God loves you if you're in his love. Even as he loves Jesus. Jesus emphasizes that or underscores that parallel relationship a little bit later, immediately after the resurrection when he appears to Mary and when he sends Mary to announce his resurrection to the apostles. He says, go to them and tell them, I am going to my Father and your Father. I am going to my God and to your God. And we see it spelled out in so many other places. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, sons and daughters of the living God. Oh, how great the Father's love for us that we should be called children of God. The love that God has for the Son is the love that he has for you. So what does that mean? He hears you. He's with you. By the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, he is in you. He speaks to you and through you in his word. He works through you. He sets us apart and sends us into the world. He lets us know Him even as He knows us. He is with us. He is in us. He abides in unity and calls us to fellowship with Himself. He loves you. Now, there are probably a few people here who can look at this in the original language and say, wait a minute. The word that's used for love here is actually not agape love that we so often talk about. It is a different kind of love. The Father loves you is actually phileo, which usually refers to brotherly love. So maybe that's a little bit different than we might be referring to. And I think it's really important at this point to establish that for the most part, in fact, maybe even all the time, John uses agape love and philos love in parallel or as synonyms. For example, 
You remember that John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved? It's really interesting that at one point he uses agape and at another point he uses philos. He's using them interchangeably to talk about how Jesus loves him, the Apostle John. You probably also are familiar with the conversation that Jesus has with Peter in John chapter 21 where he's restoring Peter after Peter had denied Christ. And three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Well, two of those times he uses agape love and one of those times he uses philos love. But probably the most really convincing point that there's not a difference in what Jesus is talking about is that when he, Jesus, refers to the Father's love for him in John 5.20, he uses philos love. The Father loves the Son. Philos love. The Father loves you. The Father himself loves you with that same kind of love with which he loves the Son. And there are two specific ways that his love is manifested towards us in these verses. One is the fact that the Father reveals himself to us. Jesus talked about it in verse 25, that he is going to reveal the Father openly. We can actually know something about God, and the only reason for it is that the Father loves us. Remember we talked about the aseity of God, the fact that he is completely independent? God did not have to reveal himself to us. He could have crossed his arms and stood back in eternity and let us go to perdition like we deserved without revealing anything of himself to us, without revealing the gospel of salvation, without allowing us to know him. He did not have to do that. The only reason that the Father reveals Himself, the only reason that Jesus tells us about the Father is because God loves us. And in addition to revealing Himself to us, God receives us into His presence. He welcomes us to His presence in prayer because He loves us. To this point, just about every time we have read about prayer or heard about prayer, we have heard about prayer in Jesus' name. Jesus being the go-between between us and the Father. The reason that we can go to the Father is because of what Jesus has done for us. We go to the Father not on our own behalf, but on Jesus' uh, on, on behalf or, or, or speaking in Jesus' name, representing his values and character in prayer. At this point, Jesus adds something that we haven't read before. We pray in Jesus' name, but we pray and God hears because he loves us. He says in verse 26, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on behalf. No, the Father himself loves you and wants you to talk with him in prayer. He welcomes you in prayer. What an incredible miracle. God could be completely independent, separated from us, have nothing to do with us. Not only does he overturn 
that natural state by revealing Himself to us, but He actually loves us and wants us to come into His presence. Like a father who, whose child is hurt or is weeping or is needy, and He says, come here, sit on my knee, tell me about it. The Father Himself loves you, and so He receives you in prayer. He wants to hear from you. You don't have to seek some intermediary because you're not worthy of being in God's presence. If you are in the Father's love, then you have free access to Him as your loving Heavenly Father who wants to hear you and to answer. So this is the measure of the Father's love for us. Well, I hope somebody in here is thinking, okay, how can I be in the Father's love? And Jesus makes that clear in this passage as well. Again in verse 27, know the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. The way to be in the Father's love is to enter into a trusting and loving relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to talk about that for a little bit. First of all, we need to understand that the love of the Father comes to us not because of some cold intellectual acknowledgement of truths that we have accepted from Scripture. Faith is not mere acknowledgement of facts about Jesus Christ. Faith is trusting. He uses the word believing here. Faith is falling upon Him, not only in acknowledgement, but in dependence. I've heard it described as a chair. If we had a chair up on the platform, I could look at that chair and I could say, is that a chair? Yes, that's a chair. Is that a sturdy chair? Looks like a sturdy chair to me. Can that chair hold me? Probably can hold me. I'm acknowledging all kinds of facts about that chair, not denying its existence or even its sufficiency. But if I want to really show that I trust in that chair, I go over and I sit in it. (laughs) And I can lift up my legs and put my full weight on it. And that's what Jesus calls us to do in faith. Not simply acknowledging that I am a sinner and that I need a Savior, but falling on Him wholeheartedly, desperately clinging to Him as the only one who can save me from my wretched state, the only one who can deliver me from the wrath that is to come, the only one who can clothe me in righteousness and offer me eternal life. That is trusting. That is believing, falling on Him wholeheartedly. And then, of course, when we enter into that sort of relationship with Him, it is characterized by love. Love is born in our hearts and overflows towards the One who has become our loving Savior, towards the One who has given Himself on our behalf. The disciples are in the Father's love because they've believed on Him and because they love Him. 
And it's also important to see here that it's not simply referring to something that I did some time ago and doesn't really make a difference in my life today. Jesus says, you have believed and you have loved, and he talks about it in a way that refers to something that happened in the past but still has its effect on us today. This trust and this love continues as an attitude in our lives that persists day in and day out, affecting how we live, how we talk, what we value. This vast treasure trove of God's love is available to everyone who will enter into that relationship with Him. And then there's even more. Because that love is available to us. That love continues towards us even when we fail. How wonderful is the Father's love even when we fail. Let's read verses 32 and 33 again. A time is coming and in fact has come when you disciples will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This great promise of the Father's love is given to fallible, painfully fallible disciples who are about to, in their great shame and disgrace, deny and abandon Jesus. They're bold enough to say, we believe in you. We saw in chapter 13, they're bold enough to say, I'm willing to die for you. But Jesus knows what is about to happen. The Father knows what is about to happen. Their imminent failure is no secret to God when He says, I love you. And Jesus says, I'm telling you now, I'm telling you ahead of time, I know what's going to happen, and you can have peace. Peace with God, no matter how abjectly you will fail, you can have peace with God. What an important word that is for us today. Somebody might be thinking, Tom, you have no idea what I have done. Well, my first answer is, you know what? You have no idea what I have done. When we examine our own hearts before a perfectly holy God whose holiness is white hot and banishes every sort of sin from His presence, we're like the prophet covering ourselves in shame. Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. God knows Whatever it is, He knows what you've done, what you are, what you're going to do. And that treasure trove of His love is available to you in all of its fullness. Peace with God, 
because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have had others telling you you're dirt, you're trash, you're not worthy. The God of all the universe says, I love you. I myself, he says, love you. So there are a few things that, that I hope that we will take with us this morning as we consider this. And one is that we need to understand ourselves in light of God's love and not the other way around. So often we start with our condition or with our expectation of what love is and project that upon God and understand His fatherhood in light of the things that we have experienced or the things that we have done. He could never love me because I have done this. God's love turns that upside down. God's love is not defined and is not dependent on who we are or what we have done. God's love existed in Himself from eternity past and is unchanged by us and is extended towards us in Jesus Christ again, no matter who we are or what we have done. It's very important in another sense because so often we understand God's fatherhood and God's love as a father in the way that we have experienced it in this world with our earthly fathers. It's probably going to come as a surprise to my wife and my children and to everybody else, but I'm not a perfect father. <laughs> and you know what? That pains me. It pains me because so many believers suffer from a damaging syndrome, as one commentator said, in which we define the Father's love based on what we have seen in imperfect human Father's love. And I am grieved to think that anyone would see my example and define God based on that. God is Father from eternity past. God is love from eternity past. The fatherhood, the loving fatherhood of God is not defined by our experience or our understanding. Instead, we understand ourselves in light of God's love. And understanding that, then we can bask in God's love. Here's another beautiful thing about the independence of God's love. So often human love is defined in terms of a transactional relationship, right? I love someone but need to receive something from them as well. Love that is self-seeking. Love that, that longs to receive something. God does not need any return of His love in order to build Him up or to make Him something that He is not already. God's love is not self-seeking. God's love is not transactional. God's love is pure grace. He gives and He gives and He gives, and all we can do is bask in it. 
All we can do is receive it. We can never increase it. We can never diminish it. We can only dwell in it. Remember Jesus said, remain in my love. It is so hard for us to grasp that we need to to move on and talk about one more thing here, and that is what it means to really grasp God's love. I love how Paul prays for the Ephesian church. I go back to it over and over again. Some of you have heard me talk about it. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, and he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, so they already have some experience of God's love. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. His love is so vast, we can't even have the power to understand it. It's so much bigger than we could ever imagine. It's so much beyond what we can describe in human terms. That's his love towards you. And so Paul's prayer, my prayer, is the power, even the power to begin to understand the infinite, immeasurable dimensions of God's love towards us. How beautiful is that? Let's pray that for each other. And then finally, of course, this this treasure trove of God's love is available for us. We must enter into it and then remain in it. This passage contains a call from Jesus to believe in Him and to love Him. And it is on the basis of that faith that we can enter into this relationship with God such that it is out of pure grace that God will pour out His love on us. And once we are in it, there's nothing we can do to add to it or to diminish it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how great Your love. We could talk about it and keep talking, but without the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, we can never understand. But we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would give me the power to grasp the dimensions of your love. And I pray that you would grant to everyone who is hearing to understand your love. We pray that by your Spirit you would move among us to birth in those who do not yet believe that faith and that love without which we can never know you. And Lord, help us. So many things distract us every week, every day, every morning. Call us to bask in your love, to remain in your love, to exult in your love. Thank you for all that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to you for your indescribable gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.